Hello, live streamers. It's your pal Sully still in his mother's house in Palo Alto and looking to talk about the postseason. There are some old familiar faces in this postseason, but guess what? There are some new ones, a couple of rookies who may be making a huge splash. And if we're talking about splash and rookies, that's when you know it's time to bring on Lindsey Crosby of Lockdown MLB. Locked on will be prospects. Easy for you to say it's a live stream. Hope this echo's not too bad. Let's start the show. You are locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans, and hello, live streamers, and welcome to Lockdown MLB, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am indeed your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Where's my lower third? It is right there. Hey, you can call me Sully. Today's episode is being dropped as a live stream on the 10th day of October 2022, and we are indeed going to be bringing aboard Lindsey Crosby to talk about some of the new young faces, as opposed to those old young faces, currently in this year's postseason. Hey, you can follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much for making us your first listeners. We're available on all your free podcasting catchers. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. So it is... Monday, and I really thought there were going to be games being played today. And I, I'm not going to lie to you, I, I kind of wish there was. I kind of wish there was. And by the way, we are doing this as a live stream. So if you're in watching this as a live stream, you want to throw something in the chat, be sure to throw it out there. But one thing I'm definitely going to do right now is I am going to bring aboard, touch one little button, and Lindsey Crosby joins the show. How are you doing, buddy? I am doing well. I'm excited to be here. Always excited to be on um on locked on MLB and the postseason's here. Postseason yes. baseball is like an airport beer; it just kind of hits differently. Well, yeah, and it's also this is the time you know we have all these months in the spring and in the summer and the early fall that we have this great you know season, and all anyone seems to remember is the postseason. It's kind of like a Rocky movie that everyone remembers the fight at the end, but the fight at the end isn't great unless you've had that great buildup and you've had all the. The you know the hitting of the beef and the scenes with Adrian and then suddenly the fight becomes the stairs. more meaningful. Yeah, you get the stairs, which I was at just about a month and a half ago in Philadelphia, running up the running up the stairs there. Um, hey, before we get started here, I do want to. If you're in the live chat, feel free to to you know to type in. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I got a piece of uh, listener mail that I'm looking forward to uh, reading. Where the heck did that go? Um, I just had it here. Did I lose that? Um, I got an uh, a email. Oh, here it is. And it's from someone whose uh, uh, handle is Alex B.T. Ripper. And he's from England. So I wonder if he's related to Jack. Um, Hi, Sully. I hope you don't mind me cold calling you here. I can't abide Twitter. He sent this to me uh, via a different uh, method of uh, social media. I want to give you a shout out. Thank you for your Lockdown MLB podcast. I must confess, I can't get into baseball as much as I'd like. A frustration not helped by MLB blacking out all of the playoff games on their MLB TV app. But continue to enjoy the game vicariously through you. Um, uh, That's all I want to say. Have a great day. 
Um, the reason I'm bringing that up is that other than the fact that it's a nice little piece of fan mail is that, yeah, you're blacking out games. You're taking games away from people who want to watch your product. What is the logic of blocking out games in Europe? What? So they, you, you want them to attend? Do you want them to fly into, do you want them to fly to Philadelphia? Blackout, not a single blackout rule is applicable anymore. There's not one blackout rule that comes within five quadrillion miles of making sense. But to blackout Europe, you're, as you're trying to build the game internationally, I know a great way to build the game internationally. Let them be able to watch the product. And not only to block out the game, but to tell them up front at the beginning of the season that they would be able to watch the postseason on the app and then take that away once the postseason started. I have a friend over in Europe who said he sat down to watch the first game of the postseason and that was he did not have access. It's insane. He he bought the package thinking, all right, I'm good all the way through to the season. I'm good through the postseason. He checked, and the way he found it was he turned it on, and it said, this event is blacked out in your area. It's like, oh, didn't know that until literally the game started. So, so, so here's the deal. If someone can send me a valid reason to have a single blackout rule, send me that reason to my Twitter handle, which you can see in my low through there's at Sully Baseball. And if the your reason for a blackout makes sense, I will mail you $10 in cash. That's how it is. And I've never been more secure with the fact that I'm not going to mail $10 in cash to anybody. Now, granted, it's subjective. And you may have a result you think makes sense. You're wrong. But you may think it makes sense. But if I think it doesn't make sense... I won't just say that doesn't make sense. I'll point out why it doesn't. Okay? I will, this is, I'll peer review it. All right? Not one blackout rule makes any sense. And when people say it's because of money, no, you're losing money doing that. You're losing customers doing that. You cannot say we're looking to get young viewers and expand international markets in one side of your mouth and say, and we're going to have blackout rules. You have to pick one. And picking blackout rules is to say, we want the short money and long-term damage. Now, if baseball says we want to destroy our sport, then yes, then that's a mandate. And that's what's going on with blackout rules. There is not one valid reason to have a blackout. Not one. Again, send it to me. You get, you'll get 10 bucks. I will mail you 10 bucks American cash. There is no reason to have international blackouts. Zero. Notice I said American cash because not one person in international waters would defend a blackout because they're being screwed. Okay. So plus it would cost you a lot to send the money in in their currency. There's exchange fees and stuff. It won't matter. No one's going to come up with one. Doesn't matter if they're right next door. No one's going to come up with one. Okay. That's my challenge. If you think there's a reason to have a blackout rule, send it to me via Sully Baseball on Twitter. And if I can't come up with a reason why that doesn't make sense, you get 10 bucks. Okay. 10 bucks. There you go. Um, Hey, Lindsey Crosby, before we're going to, we're going to really get into the, I wanted to address that right up front. Um, What are your thoughts so far about what we've seen in the playoffs and what has been the biggest surprise and the, and the biggest contributor that has caught you off guard. So I think in the wild card round, uh, 
the biggest surprises to me was one, the Mets being eliminated in three games. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you went over a hundred games in the season, and this was the year where we kind of thought, okay, maybe maybe the Mets aren't going to mess it up, right? Uh, they, you know, they they have a bunch of great talent, including two fantastic pitchers. You bring in a veteran manager in Buck Showalter, and it's like, okay, they're not going to mess it up. And then they they mess it up. It just took longer than usual to do it. And then maybe the Mariners handling the Blue Jays as easily as they did. Uh, the Mariners feel like they just have that juice this year. You know, like every year there's that team that's probably not the best team on paper entering the postseason. Uh, the Braves, an example, last year had one of the lower record, have one of the the lowest records for any team to make the World Series. And granted, after the trade deadline, they were a much better team. But the Braves just kind of had that mojo and that juice. And the Mariners kind of feel like they have a little bit of that. I'm curious to see how they'll do against Houston. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with those. I, I also agree that um, I think what happened between Philadelphia and St. Louis was just stunned me. I really yeah, thought the St. Comeback. Louis. Well, the comeback that they were, I mean, it went from the Cardinals in complete control to just, just a massive collapse. Mm-hmm. And then you, you have a team that has the Arenados and the, the Goldschmidt's and this, this wonderful offense and say for a Juan Yepes home run, they didn't score the entire series. One I mean, yes, rookie. I know. There you go. Um, it's either this tremendous, and also the fact of the matter that uh, you know you had two teams, Tampa Bay and St. Louis, were held to a single home run each. Uh, you know, Siri hit the home run for Tampa. Yepes hit the home run for St. Louis, and after that, nothing. And it's. Uh, you could you could excuse Tampa Bay because they were a team that was just banged up. They were they were their lineup was was just a shell of its former self, and you got the sense that they weren't going to match up well with Cleveland. No. Uh, but St. Louis, I, I thought you know I said they were going to win the World Series in August. I thought this team was stacked and ready to go deep. By the time the playoffs came around, I thought that okay, probably Los Angeles, but maybe the Mets uh, or the Braves. But, uh, you know, the funny – and I mentioned this the other day, the Mets really didn't collapse. They had a winning September. They had a great record in September. Uh, when, you know, they, you can mark when the, the Braves start playing well around the, the first day of June. Well, from the first day of June on, the Mets played at a clip, played at a winning percentage that over 162 games would have won 99 games. So it was roughly the same clip that they played the entire season. Yeah, you know, you, you win, you win better. Yeah, they just, you know, there would be times where the Mets would win seven out of ten and drop a game in the standings. You know, you know, but one thing I've 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 said all along, you know, when people talk about how there's, you know, uh, this game is meaningless in April, this game is meaningless in May. Never lose a dumb game. Never lose a dumb game. Every game matters because you're gonna every team's gonna lose games. Obviously, mm-hmm. no one's gonna go 162 and up. But don't lose the dumb games, you know, and a game where you uh, – mental error here or uh, you bring in the wrong player there or just stupid, stupid games. Because just one extra – think about it. If, if the Mets won one more game and Milwaukee won two more games, then the Mets would be the division, division champs and Milwaukee would be in the playoffs and not Philadelphia. 
Mm-hmm. And so here we go. Here we go. Go and back like, to May. Go find a random May where a starter gets blown up in the first two innings. And instead of trying to salvage the game, you just put a long relief arm in and you just kind of punt it and go to the next one. You change two or three things like that in the first half of the year and the back half of the season looks completely different. And a big difference between the teams that win their divisions and the teams that make the wild card are teams don't give up on those those seemingly obvious easy losses to take in May, in June. When if you can fight back and win one out of every four or five of those or even seven or eight of those, it dramatically makes the picture look different come September and October. I mean, what were the odds that at this point the Mets would be going home and watching the Braves and the Phillies play each other? I mean, I think Bet Online had them as one of the one of the favorites for the World Series. And by the way, if you're going to make any bets, go to Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football bets. Rear football—that's that other sport that's going on right now, apparently. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, and podcasts, and in-depth articles. An analysis on every game you can find. As always, Bet Online remains your continued source for your sports wagering information with live betting and up to minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, that's where the game starts. Bet Online, that's where. Bum, bum, bum. The game starts. Okay. <laughs> I got to register that at ASCAP. We're here with Lindsey Crosby of Lockdown Prospects. All right, let's just talk a little bit about there are some there are some you know rookies out there. There are some young players out there. Uh, some people have already made a, a splash. Um, I know he's not the most obvious name to throw out because he's a 31 year old rookie, but Robert Suarez of the Padres made his presence felt and he was brought in in the game the clinching game against the the Mets at City Field he's technically a rookie and he's also someone that will give San Diego a little bit of bullpen depth as they go in if Los Angeles has an Achilles heel I think it's Craig Kimbrell who for their sake I hope they don't use as a closer uh if uh, the Padres can hold close Someone like Suarez could give them a little bit of bullpen depth, and I don't know, maybe give the Padres a little bit of uh, a little bit of mojo. It feels like every team has this veteran relief pitcher that's not really a veteran. We say veteran because they're over thirty. Suarez is that guy for the Padres, the guy that hasn't really played in the big leagues until this year, broke in after thirty, but just looks fantastic. Or it's maybe it's a guy who came back from he was up early in his career, went back down and came back up. I'm thinking about last year for the Braves, Tyler Matzik kind of filled Mm -hmm. that same role. Guy out of the bullpen, nasty stuff, just unhittable all year. Suarez's uh, ERA plus was 166 this year. Mm -hmm. Um, He had something like 61 strikeouts in 47 innings. Uh, And I want to say he gave up maybe four home runs all year. Just does not put does not let guys get extra bases, uh, very low batting average against, and and has the potential to be a useful guy to set up Josh Hader for the Padres, assuming that they can get to the end of the game with a lead where they can use him. 
Well, let's bring up another rookie who made an impact or at least made a, made a pitched a critical inning in this year's postseason. George Kirby's been a starter for this year, but in that unbelievable game on Saturday where I think everyone in the world was going to punt. By the way, that's an example of a dumb game. If you're the Blue Jays and you have a game where you're up 8-1 to one in the sixth inning at home and you hang an L on it, that's a game you can't have games like that. I don't care if it's April or a potential elimination game in October. You can't have those games. Those games build up, and they had one. And because of that, I believe you will. Uh, I don't know. I think we're going to see a new manager in Toronto. We're going to see something happen in Toronto because someone can't keep their job after something like that happens. But Seattle, with a chance to advance it in the from the uh, the wild card round to the division series. And, you know, try to continue their first attempt at a pennant in their team's history, handed the ball to George Kirby, not a closer, a starter uh, before Sunday was tied with me with major league saves. And uh, he came out and closed out the game, closed out the series and that stunning game. But Kirby, who again, they're not going to use him as a bullpen closer. But who knows? Maybe they're maybe they're going to. Who knows what they're going to do? But the fact of the matter is, he is a live arm, and who's made a big impact this year, and is giving Seattle a little bit of that pitching depth, which they're going to need all of it if they want to have any hope against the defending American League champion Astros. Yeah, called up on May eighth. Spoiler here for my Tuesday show: he's on my MLB All Rookie Team was in the rotation for the rest of the year. And the thing with George Kirby, fantastic control, right? 130 innings, only walked 22 guys all year. Um, was in the top five among qualified rookies for just about every stat you can think of. ERA, innings pitched, walks, strikeouts, whip, all of that stuff. And so in short bursts like that, he's practically untouchable. He hits another level of velocity. You know, he gets a little bit of extra spin. You're going to have to go check his ears like you did Musgrove last night, um, but just just gets that much better. And a guy who I think will be a starter in the next round, but deploying him out of the bullpen in game two was a very – deploying him out of the bullpen was a very smart decision, and he completely shut that game down. Well, why don't they use him out of the – I mean, you could have him as a super reliever, kind of the way that the Giants did in 2012 when Tim Lincecum – was put into the bullpen, became extraordinarily effective against St. Louis and Detroit in their run to winning the World Series title. Well, kind of looking at your starters, Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray, I guess Logan Gilbert would be your third. So mm-hmm. in the second round, you only have one off day. And so you're going to need four starters. Right. In the wildcard round, you know you only need three. Everybody else can be in the bullpen. You're going to need four starters. And I, I think at this point, he's better than Chris Flexen. He's better than Marco Gonzalez. You're going to have to use him as one of your four starters unless you're willing to put a, a lesser guy in early and then be prepared to quickly hook him and throw Kirby in to, cut, to fill for him anyway. I remember – I've just, just come up with another example. I remember in 2018 – um, Rick Forcello, who did get a start or two in the postseason, but Cora used him very effectively out of the bullpen. And I think that, you know, if he can work in short bursts, I, I don't know that I think you kind of have to throw a lot of spaghetti at the wall because the Mariners, while they obviously are a wonderful team, 90 some odd wins, I think they won 98 right on the dot 
Um, they're going to be facing an outstanding Houston team that can mm-hmm. hit, that can pitch, that can do everything you need. And I think you you can't just sort of use traditional roles. I think you have to constantly just be throwing whatever you can at anyone at any time. And I wonder if Kirby does work best in short bursts. If you take a chance with a Gonzalez uh, and and then you know cross your fingers and hope things work out for the best. That may be something that you have to do. And it's very much, it can be dependent as well kind of on how the series goes. By the time you get to that fourth game, what are you looking like? Are you, you know, is it tied to, you know, are you up to one? Are you down one, two? What's your scenario as far as what kind of runway you have to when you deploy George Kirby? Um, it's it's definitely an interesting, this is the fun part of the postseason, right? It's figuring right, out right. the strategy and the roster, how you set things up. Every team's going to have that designated speedster runner guy. Uh, you know, just it's, it's this is this is the fun part of the postseasons. Figuring out what would I do if I was the manager? How would I set this up? How would I take this Seattle pitching staff and attack Houston? It's always fun. By the way, we can't talk about Seattle without bringing up the most important rookie in the postseason, which is Julio Rodriguez. The fact that he was healthy and came back to the postseason uh, is, I think, one of the reasons why Seattle advanced. If they didn't have Julio Rodriguez, then I wouldn't give this team a chance to do anything. Now, if there is a postseason MVP for the Mariners so far, it's been Cal Raleigh mm-hmm. uh, with his unbelievable start. But Julio Rodriguez is the person who sparks that offense. He's the one. He's the straw that that stirs the proverbial drink. And you need to have him going at full speed. And if there's any hope for the Mariners to upset Houston, let's face it, it would be an upset. It would be a situation where someone like Julio Rodriguez picking the team on his back and running with it. Yeah, I mean, 28 home runs, 25 stolen bases, OPS of around 850 or so. Had a great year, and you could see a difference. He missed some time with injury. You could see a difference before and after about how much he was willing to run. He needs to get back into being willing to run on these Houston pitchers. Uh, They're not, especially some of the middle guys like Framber Valdez and Christian Javier, they're not used to having guys on base. They do a very good job at keeping the bases clean. And so Julio Rodriguez getting on early in games, putting pressure on the pitching staff is going to be very important for Seattle. Um, and then having some guys come in behind him and drive him in. He can put himself in scoring position if he gets on first. It's just a question of can you get a base hit off of a Justin Verlander, off of a Jose Urquidy, so that you can send in Julio Rodriguez. I don't know how this offense is going to stack up against this Houston pitching staff, but it's going to be fun to watch. All right, we're here with Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects. We're talking about some of the the Seattle prospects, uh, uh, rookies who are going to make an impact. They're going to be playing Houston, who have a couple of young players on their own. Hunter Brown. I mean, when you look at the depth in the the Houston pitching staff, obviously you have Verlander, who's probably going to win his, what, 48th Cy Young Award. Something like um, that, yeah. Framber Valdez should be a top three Cy Young Award finisher the way he pitched. He, the number of quality starts he threw at you. You mentioned Arquiti, who may be pronounced Arquiti. I'm not 100% sure. Um, and then you have you know Christian Javier, uh, you know Lance McCullers Jr. Guess what? Hunter Brown could be thrown right in there. And especially the fact that he comes in 
and you know maybe unfamiliar to a lot of people i would take one of their veterans one of the like an arcades or mccullers jr and put them in the super reliever position and roll roll them bones with hunter bones uh, hunter brown <laughs> hunter bones that's a, that's a good name there um that would be his name if they didn't get the rights of the major league players association they'd have to hunter come up bones. with the fake hunter bones um uh, I would give Hunter Brown a start because he's been terrific. You'd be, as I said, you'd be able to maybe throw him a colors or someone who's one of the veterans to, uh, in case there's an issue there. But uh, he's thrown, he's shown a lot of ability there and is one of the reasons why the Astros uh, just have a ton of pitching depth, which is going to be dangerous this postseason. See, I'm going to take the opposite side of you. I like Hunter Brown in that bullpen short burst role. Cause okay. like, right, okay. So, his two weapons, right? He's got that power four-seam fastball, sits mid to upper 90s. Normally in a start, he can touch 99 with it. Uh, great late life, does really well elevated up in the zone. And then he's got a spike curveball uh, that he throws. The fastball is probably one of the better fastballs in the system. The curveball is a plus pitch. And then he's got a sweepy slider. The issue for me with Hunter Brown, why I like him better in the bullpen for this postseason, is... He sometimes struggles to maintain his mechanics deep into a start. He'll lose his his release point, um, his delivery. He won't repeat his delivery. And when that happens, he starts to have command issues with the fastball. So keeping him in a shorter stint, one, lets him get a little more umph behind his pitches, lets him you know get up to 100, 101, which he's done in the past. And then also mitigates some of the control issues because he's not trying to maintain through six innings, he's out here to give you two innings of shutdown ball with a vicious fastball curveball combo. They've used him for five games in relief and two games for uh, starting, so like 20 innings so far at the big league level. 0.89 ERA uh, with with 22 strikeouts to seven walks. So the stuff oh, yeah. is lethal. The stuff is there, but let's definitely – Let's not overexpose him to these pitchers or sorry, to these hitters as a young guy. Let him stick in that swing role where he can come out for two or three. He can give you a single inning uh, and he can step in to rescue somebody if they need it, like a Urquidy, like a McCullers. If somebody needs some help, you can bring him in and throw a couple. You know, and when the season began, I picked Seattle to win the division. Um, and the reason I did is I thought they were going to improve upon last year's season. And they did. I mean, they actually finished with the exact same record. So, but they, but I think they're a stronger team now than they were last year. Uh, but one of the other reasons I felt that the loss of Carlos Correa was just going to be greater than the stats. And I thought, like he, I thought he was a Jenga piece that you took out of that tower that was going to, you know, that he was that I, I had the attitude that his value was greater than his, than what you could perceive by any metric, uh, and that very well may be true. But I didn't take into account the emergence of Jeremy Pena. And Jeremy Pena, another terrific rookie on that Astros team, I give him a ton of credit. He stepped right in. Uh, he didn't try to be Carlos Correa. And there's no way a player could replace what Carlos Correa was to the teams that went to the World Series, what he meant to the Astros community and all that stuff. He just made sure that shortstop was not a weakness in the team and was actually, it remained a strength. You know, he's obviously not Carlos Correa in his prime, but he's Jeremy Pena, and that's not shabby. Yeah, gave gave the team very good defense. I Watching him in Houston, he looks like he's one of the better defensive shortstops 
in baseball, not a qualifier for a rookie or for a prospect, one of the better defensive shortstops in baseball. The arm's been fantastic, very smooth footwork, very soft hands. And then offensively, uh, you know, finished top five for rookies. Part of that was the amount of time he was up, but 250, 289, 426, 22 home runs, still 11 bases. But you're right, doesn't necessarily try to step in and do too much. A lot of guys replacing a veteran would do that. He instead just went out there, played consistently good defense, had some timely hitting, and put together a very good season. And so the on the field, you didn't miss from Carlos Correa as much. Um, and then there's other guys, obviously, who can step up and provide some of the veteran leadership that Correa was giving you. Um, before we get done, I do have my my favorite, most influential prospect in the playoffs. It's in a different series, but I want to make sure we get to that before we get done. Well, yeah, well, well, let's hit it right now because I have a couple other ones to bring up. But let's see, let's see if uh, yours matches one of the ones that I was going to bring up. Okay, Oswaldo Cabrera of the uh, New York Yankees. I was going to bring him up. Yep, but but he wasn't at the top. I had Stephen Kwan at the top of the ones we haven't mentioned mm. yet, but. But okay, but yes, the young players on the Yankees might give them a spark. Give me talk us a little bit through that here. Okay, Oswaldo Cabrera. So one of the many, many middle infield uh, prospects that the Yankees had. He's up. Oswald Peraza's up. But Cabrera's had a bigger impact. Um, debuted mid-August, so he's got about forty-four games. Here's where he's played: twenty-seven games in right field, nine games in left field, four at shortstop three at first base, three at second base, and three at third base. So he can play just about anywhere. Statistically, on defense, he's already one of the Yankees' best outfielders on the year, and he's only played um, 36 games in the outfield. He's got something like 10 outfield assists. Uh, fantastic arm that they kept testing. He had about seven. He had, I think he had six or seven assists in a one-week span. And then he very much is a fly ball hitter. Um, like 37% of the time he's putting the ball in the air. And so I have a feeling like he's going to be able to get into a couple, send him out of that short porch and right. He's going to be able to make some plays on defense wherever you have him on the diamond. And the farther the Yankees go in the playoffs, the bigger and bigger chances are that Oswaldo Cabrera is going to get a couple highlight plays that could take New York to a championship. Yeah, I mean, they need someone other than Judge. And by the way, we have uh, one of our my my devoted uh, listeners, uh, Adam Scott Bristol, just wrote the Yankees seem to have lots of high impact rookies. There's and a ton yeah, of them. Yeah, you're right, Adam. And uh, and I have a feeling that one or two of them, both those Waldos on the team, you know, the the du- dueling Ozes, um you know, the Yankees need to have someone offensively to spark the team other than judge. Mm-hmm. Otherwise Cleveland will pitch right around him. And, you know, it might be Glaber Torres or Stanton, but it might be one of their young kids who said, they're like, Hey, am I supposed to be here? Let's go. Let's go. I mean that the Yankees entire postseason run depends on that. Obviously the Yankees could win the world series or they could lose to Cleveland in five, you know, and, a lot of that depends on someone other than Aaron Judge stepping up on the mm-hmm. offensive side for the Yankees. If it's just the Aaron Judge show, then they're then they're dead in the water. We saw that team in August. The second and, half, yeah. Yeah. And but we saw when the team righted the ship, a big deal of that was the emergence of some of these young players who were inserted into the lineup. 
and the fact that Glaber Torres started to hit as well. So I, I think that it's the Yankees. Obviously, uh, uh, you know the the Yankees are obviously a team that could win it all, but it has to be someone other than the Stars to handle that team. Um, speaking of a team that could win it all, last year the team that did win it all, the Atlanta Braves. Uh, have two gigantic ones. Uh, Spencer Strider, who, by the way, just was signed to I think a four or five year extension. Mm-hmm. The Braves Today. are trying to keep the Braves are trying to keep the band together. They want to have a, a they want to have a couple of runs at this. Uh, Strider gives them that uh, that other solid arm that they can count on, uh, especially if they if they get past Philadelphia. And let's let's you know St. Louis overlooked them. They got Nola and Wheeler and some big bats. So, I mean, I don't think they're going to be pushovers. That being said, I think Atlanta's going to sweep them. <laughs> uh, I just think Atlanta's better. I think Atlanta's better. I think, And I think Atlanta could very well win it all. And, mm-hmm. uh, and a big reason that could be someone like Strider stepping right in to the rotation and giving them that, that pitching depth that they need. Hey, Jay Spear. Yeah, I had Spencer Strider number one on my uh, all-rookie team. And when you mm-hmm. look at what he did offensively this year, offensively, he, he, he did from the mound this year, um, moved from the bullpen to the rotation in like late May, and really has two pitches. He's got a fastball and a slider, and that's it. Uh, it's very much a closer's arsenal. And the Braves were like, well, let's just let it rip. Uh, 202 strikeouts and 131 and two-thirds innings. Broke uh, broke the record. I believe it was broke the record for fastest to get to 200 strikeouts in a season. Randy Johnson, that's who that's who held that record. No one big he, though. No one big. No one big. Literally, he broke the Braves' single game record with 16 strikeouts um, against the Rockies. That was a John Smoltz record again. That, big. That's that's unbelievable. That the franchise that had Maddox. Glavin Smoltz also had Phil Necro, who had Warren Spahn, all these all-time great pitchers. And it's freaking Spencer Strider who owns. I mean, that'd be right there. What does that tell you about that? About he's like, better than Warren Spahn, the guy Maddox, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, and Phil Necro combined. But no, it's it's so Strider missed the last two weeks with an oblique issue. Right. Right. And may have been a blessing in disguise because he's already at 131 innings. Uh, His previous high last year, I want to say was around 80 or so 80 or maybe a hundred. And so they were trying to figure out how can we give him some rest? The oblique took care of that. And there's a conversation about, does he become the number four pitcher in the postseason, or does he move back to the bullpen in that swing role where you can deploy him wherever you need to and just let him strike out the side if anybody gets in trouble in any inning. It's a it's a I, worthwhile conversation. I'd give him a start against Philadelphia, um, but I would uh, I would probably use him out of the pen if they face Los Angeles. That's the um, thing. Who, so who do you bench of the trio of Max Freed, Kyle Wright, and Charlie Morton? If you think the Braves are sweeping, you only need three. It's a, it's a best of five series. So who do you bench for Spencer? I would Strider? bench Morton. I would bench Morton. 38-year-old Charlie Morton, tougher than, yeah. than a $2 steak. Yeah. I By the way, let's, uh, Adam Scott Bristol has one other thing to go uh, he, he he wrote in. He said, uh, Weiser is an older uh, rookie in the pen who pitched well down that stretch. And for, I, you know, 
So there you go. A little more depth for New York there. Um, by the way, uh, another, uh, you know, last year the Braves won the World Series with an unlikely outfield of Jock Peterson and um, what was it? They, it was uh, uh, Teddy Rosario, uh, Jorge Soler. Jorge Soler. Yeah, sorry. And it was I, for whatever reason, I was couldn't get Rosario's name out of my mouth. And he won the MVP of the National Championship Series. Uh, you know, that cut and paste outfield they had did the job big time. Well, they got Ronald Acuna back as where he belongs. And now Michael Harris, the second, much better than the first, is uh, in the outfield for them. And uh, they have a new outfield now, and it doesn't look like they're going to miss a step. Michael Harris, to me, the call by Michael Harris on May 28th, that was the catalyst for this new Braves team and that amazing winning percentage that they had. Uh, they were playing Adam Duvall in center. Adam Duvall, obviously a slugger, 235 or so. Um, playing center field is tough on your legs when you're a big slugger. So they moved him to left field. Um, immediately got better production from everybody. And Michael Harris has played fantastic defense. One home run shy of a 2020 season uh, to go to go along with that. So probably top five defense in center field combined with um, a 514 slugging percentage, best for all qualified rookies. And I keep seeing all these stats about his clutch hitting and the names that they compare him to. His batting average with, runners in scoring position, is second in baseball behind Freddie Freeman. His eighth and ninth inning batting average is like third in baseball behind Freddie Freeman and Paul Goldschmidt. And it's just the names he keeps being grouped in with. He performs even better in clutch situations and crucial situations. And his defense and then his timely offense has meant the Braves now have that stability with Ronald Acuna and Michael Harris in the outfield. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for anybody. Well, it's dangerous to talk about baseball prospects and not bring Lindsey Crosby into the game. Let me tell you something. I wish they were playing games here. I wish that was part of the punishment of playing the wild card round is you get no rest after game three. Game three, you got to play the next day. But alas, I know they have to have that travel day or a little bit of contingency in case it rains, I don't know, in Toronto. But, hey, Lindsey Crosby, tell people where they can listen to your terrific show. Uh you can find Locked On MLB Prospects wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at Crosby Baseball and the show on Twitter at Locked On Farm. If you have questions for the show, we do mailbags every single Monday. Send those in to me, to the show, or email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com. And you can follow us at Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter and Instagram. I'm your pal Sully with Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Waiting for the start of the division series and talking about some of the young faces that could be making an impact this October. With Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects, this has been Locked On MLB on a live stream on the 10th day of October 2022. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please, I'm begging you, call me Sully. <laughs>